come up. Will you guys just bless them as Pastor Jim kicks us off today? Hey, hey. Awesome. Well, today is a special day in the life of Zion. Uh, well, kind of the point that we're at as a result of about two years uh, in response to a vision, a vision that the Lord gave my wife and confirmed by many words and prophetic words and dreams of other people. And so today it's kind of all coming together and it's right here at our doorstep. And so I'm going to uh, kick it off with a, about a six-minute video to kind of get us oriented and then we'll move forward. The Bible says that we overcome evil with good, and I just got to ask this question. What if the only thing our city needs is just more goodness? What if honor began to be the norm of our city, where each person was treasured and valued, and not just for what they had, but just for who they were? And so I see this as an opportunity to actually change the whole atmosphere of our city to where hope, which is the constant expectation of good, began to become the norm of our city where we actually began to believe the state motto that with God all things are possible. Where we're actually leaving a better place for our children and our grandchildren to grow up in because the entire atmosphere, people's thinking, they just come into our city and all of a sudden just they begin thinking differently like nothing's impossible. I was praying one day and I really felt this impression that you need to find your Normandy. And if you remember the invasion of Normandy, it was really the turning point of World War II. Hitler had pretty much taken over Europe. There was a strategic point in Omaha Beach in Normandy, France, that the Allied forces, they just had to get it. And so uh, that was D-Day. That was the day that they invaded. It was June 6, 1944. The Allied forces, they stormed the beaches in Normandy, and they gained that foothold. And it didn't look like much had changed, but actually everything had changed. As a result of that, they began to get a momentum, and pretty soon all of France was liberated. The concentration camps, they were overrun. And pretty soon there was VE Day, victory over Europe. And pretty soon there was VJ Day, victory over Japan. And the war was over. So when the Lord said, find your Normandy, I feel like this is us getting another foothold in the city. There's already a lot of good things going on. But this is another one of those footholds where it may not look like much has changed, but actually everything's changed. The Normandy project started one day when I was just praying over the city. And a picture came to me and I saw myself in this room with a row of windows and outside the window I could see the state house. In this room, I was just worshiping God like I've never seen myself worship God before. And as I was worshiping God, I noticed that the worship was displacing evil and replacing it with good. So it was good was making evil leap. We ended up touring 64 East Broad Street. And when we walked up to the second floor, here's this, this room with a row of windows looking directly at the state house. And I looked at Cheryl and I'm like, this is it. And she looked at me and she was like, this is it. So then we just started dreaming together of what, what this building could be used for. We decided to dedicate uh, the second and third floor to 
kind of a turning point house for, for women. The Normandy Project is an effort to have a location in downtown Columbus that we are able to bring women in who have gone through nine to 12 months of detox and rehabilitation, who have come from a background of trafficking into an environment um, downtown that they would be able to move to those next places of wholeness uh, in their life. I know from working with some of these women and talking to them and seeing them come out of programming that they've had that the, that the next step isn't available for them or it's very limited. And so what they need is that next place to go so that they can stay successful because they've been detoxed, they've had the programming, and now they need a place to live. And we also want to continue having the programming that they need, which would look like continuous um, counseling for like trauma because they have a lot of trauma that they've had all through their lives, that we have life skills classes for them, uh, financial classes for them to help them you know, to learn and stay on budgets and that kind of thing. Um, whether it's cooking classes, whatever it is, that we would have that right on site for them, uh, like Celebrate Recovery, where they didn't even have to go out to have those classes, it would be right there. Coming alongside them and mentoring them and helping them so that they can stay in that safe place and they can continue to learn and grow and um, be integrated back into society. I mean, if you've ever heard a symphony or a choir sing an amazing uh, version, an amazing song, uh, all those voices need to sing their part well, and they need to be able to hit the notes that they're called to hit. Um, there's, there's different instruments and there's different uh, vocals, but all of them need to be able to capture their, their piece of that. We're going to add to the song of what, uh, what our city can be. It's going to be very people-focused, very much focused on the women and uh, positioning them for, for those next places of wholeness in their life. So if we sing our part well, I think our city begins to get louder in, in the cause. What would it look like for you to roll up your sleeves and to care about the POWs, the poor, the orphans, the widows, and the sex trafficking victims? And so here's our chance to go after those trafficking victims, to really go after the people who are the most under-resourced, the most at-risk, the people who can contribute the least to society, and for us to treat them as if they're the guests of honor, to treat them as if they're the most important, and to really show people what God is like. But can you imagine a place that's filled with joy and laughter, where our streets are safe, where our girls are no longer being trafficked, but they're being prized and valued, and the ones who had been are being restored and renewed and reformed and are becoming the kind of people who become leaders in our society because they know what it's like to be down and now that they've been restored, they've got a heart for justice. They've got a heart to see the people who are most at risk become treated like guests of honor, treated like the people created in the image of God who really matter. brought my tissues. I am a wreck this morning. A little sloshy, so bear with me, okay? Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Well, that was the Normandy Project, and I have just been hearing the Lord say all morning to announce, we're having a baby. 
<laughs> You're having a baby. <laughs> Jim and I are not, you know, pregnant. So if you just walked in, <laughs> I am not pregnant. Maybe in the spirit, but, but we're having a baby, you guys. We're having a baby. <laughs> and Yeah. <laughs> This day, I told Jim I'm going to have a hard time because I feel like all morning there's just been so many prophetic pieces coming together. And um, then I got absolutely wrecked when Miss Agnes <laughs> showed up, who is like a matriarch to Zion. Some of you old Zioneers know Miss Agnes. A lot of you new ones do not. But this woman is <laughs> pure gold from heaven. And that just totally wrecked me that today's the day that she decided to come. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so it's time to move into the city. You know, as you guys have kind of heard here and there about this building that we've been kind of talking about, and there's been a lot happened behind the scenes since, you know, end of 2016. <laughs> so there's been a lot of blood, sweat, tears already go into this. And so that's why today is such a huge day that we can actually unroll something to you that's solid. Um, so as the video said, um, this all started when one day I was just praying over Columbus and I just broke into this vision and I saw myself in this room with a row of windows and I was on the floor worshiping God like... I've never worshiped God before. It was such a poured out place. And um, I looked out the window, and outside the window was a state house, the state house of Ohio. And I saw that as I was worshiping the Lord, just pure worship, just because he's good, just because he's great, not to get anything, not for anything. It was just to God because he's God. And as I was worshiping God, principalities were being completely dismantled. And it was creating a throne for God to come and be the only throne over Columbus. Amen. And I say this, this isn't about me. This is, I'm just telling you, this is where everything started. And um, so visions require action. And sometimes you just pray about a vision and sometimes you actually go see if it's real, <laughs> right? So I did what any charismatic person would do. I called a friend to see if she would be crazy with me and <laughs> go downtown and see if this building even exists, so I called Cheryl, <laughs> the crazy friend, and, uh, and we went and walked the state house. We walked around it, and we got some phone numbers from buildings for lease, and we ended up touring one building, and it was the shortest, squattiest, most glorious building on the block, as you will see here in a minute, because I have a clicker. <laughs> this is going to be really fun. Um, see if it works yeah and um so we walked into the second floor and here's this enormous row of windows we can see the state house right outside it and we looked at each other you know you just saw in the video this is it wow this is it so then we just started dreaming with God about how he wanted to invade Columbus through this building 
I actually started out, I just was going to rent a room. But when we walked in, I was like, we actually need to buy this entire building. Like, what, what was I thinking? Um, so, but I really wanted you guys to just hear from me first, because this is the foundation of this entire project is worship, worshiping God, because he's worthy. And every decision that we make from here on out is coming from a place of worship, worshiping God. The foundation. Um, Christ dwells in the midst of our worship. And can you, can you guys just imagine, well, let me back up. So when we were dreaming with God to see what he wanted to do to bring his kingdom into the city through this building, that's when the Turning Point House was born. And Cheryl's going to come up in just a minute and share that whole piece. But can you guys imagine a place where worship is infiltrating every space, every toilet seat, <laughs> every kitchen sink, you know, every, every bed, every corner of every closet, God's presence is just being pushed through that entire place, and these women are here, and they're just getting to live out of that, live in, in God's presence, and I really feel like that's what's going to set us apart not that we're better than anybody else. Do not hear me saying that. Everybody has their call. But, um, but yeah. So a couple of days later, after uh, Cheryl and I had toured this building, um, maybe a week later, I don't even know. It was soon after. Uh, I had not even told the staff yet. Sean knew, Jim knew, Cheryl knew. That was it. We go to Tuesday morning prayer. <laughs> and Linda Franklin busts out in this vision. Is Linda here? No, she's probably at walking, isn't she? No? There she is. <laughs> Linda busts out in this vision in Tuesday morning prayer, and she was like, I see, I see this row of windows, and I see musical notes coming out of it, and it's worship to God. And Mary, I see you in this room, and I see the state house out the window. And later she even told me she saw the red curtains, which it has red curtains. And um, so on your way out, you guys can grab a, we have actually a couple page document of prophetic words that have kind of led us through this thing that you guys will get to take home with you if you stop by the desk, but, um, and you can read them all, but, you know, so Linda said that and Sean looked at me like, did you tell her? Like, did you tell her? Does she know? I'm like, no, she has no idea. Like, so anyway, so. That, that kind of pushes a person over the cliff of faith, <laughs> right? When somebody has a, another vision exactly like yours. And so hers actually goes on and on. I didn't, I didn't not, not like droning, but on and on, like a lot more. <laughs> if you want to talk to Linda afterwards, you can. I didn't put it all in that uh, prophetic document, but you'll see it. All right. So, all right, so I'm just going to really quickly walk you through what the, um, what the floors and everything, what the building looks like. Jim's going to give you an opportunity later. You guys can sign up and take tours to tour it. That'd be fun. So some of you guys probably are like, especially the visitors, like, what is happening right now? This is not church. <laughs> Believe me, this is church. This is church. <laughs> Okay. All right, so this is Normandy with the big arrow. I made that slide. 
<laughs> See, it's the smallest building <laughs> on the block, and it, it really, I can't wait to wash it. It's so filthy dirty. Um, here it is up close. See the row in So we kind of broke it down. What will we do here? We're going to restore, release, and revive. We tried to break it down in like three words so you guys could just really grasp it and get it. And so we're going to be restoring women's lives, releasing worship over the city, and we're going to revive the city by bringing joy and love and commerce. <laughs> That's a word I don't use every day. All right, so here's just a couple of shots of the worship. We're going to call it the worship house, actually. So this is one side of it. Okay, there's another side. You can see the row of windows. Oh, my gosh. Where is this? Okay. You can kind of see the state house out the row of windows. Here's an up close. Can you see it? It's pretty awesome. When you guys tour it at night, it's going to be all lit up and just so good. All right, so on this first floor, I wish I had like a pointer thingy. On the first floor, it says Broad Street Bagels. That is, um, and there's, that's the main entrance to the left of it. But um, so Broad Street Bagels is kind of like a staple in the city. They've been there for 18 years or so. We plan on renewing that lease and keeping them, keeping them going. I think they're going to renovate too. So on that dark uh, kind of row, underneath the red curtains. That is a mezzanine floor. We're going to have training and classes there, training classes in office space. And so that is um, like a half, like a half floor. This is so exciting. Floor two, worship house and turning point house living space. So see the uh, red, they kind of look pink now because the sun, but that row of windows, can you see it? Yes. So that's going to be the worship house. And on the other side of that room is all going to be living space for the women that Cheryl's going to talk about in a minute. And the top floor will all be uh, living house, living space, and uh, there'll be kitchen and everything they need. So, all right. Was that awesome? Okay. I am going to introduce Cheryl. Come on up. Well, as Mary said, it's been a really weepy morning. It's been a weepy week. (laughs) Uh, So I just want to kind of give you some back history now that you know how we we got the Normandy building. Uh, I want to give you a little bit quick, real quick back history of how my part in the um, transitional living uh, for women, how that came about. It actually, I always like that one, it actually started way back, I'm not going to go way, way back, actually, but anyway, um, it's a short story. I started, when I started coming to Zion, um, probably about six months after I started coming here, which was 18 years ago, um, I started volunteering at CBCF, which is a Columbus-based correctional facility, and it's a step-down unit, um, so to speak, for women 
who have otherwise would have gone to prison, but it's a step down unit where they can they could come in and they still do they still have it that they could come in and they could um, take classes and they could serve their, half their time there, so to speak. So like if they had a year and a half of time, they could come there and if they did really well on the program, then they graduated from that program and they didn't have to finish their what they call shelf time. So. What, what happened with that, and it's, I love it that Pam's here today, that just totally blew me away because she is the one that actually um, got me interested in going to CBCF so many years ago, and we rode together every Monday night for years, just going and praying over the women and being with the women, so I'm, I'm so excited that you're here today because that wouldn't have happened, again, just like Jim said about the church, but that wouldn't have happened either, so I thank you for that, and I'm really happy that you're here because this is a really special moment. And I love how God just brings everything full circle. He has a really wonderful way of doing that. So anyway, so Pam and I and some other ladies, we would go down every Monday night, and then they kind of stopped for a while, but I think you're doing it again, right? So anyway, so I'd go down every Monday night and did that for about five years, and we would get in relationships with these women because they were there for six months. And so we'd see them every week, develop relationships with them, really have a heart for them, and that we, they would have a heart for us, and they would be, like, really excited about graduating from the program, and, you know, some of them have some bumps along the way, but, you know, we just encourage them, be their cheerleaders, and they would do really well, and they graduate from the programs, and then we never knew what would happen to them, because my question to them always was, where are you going to go when you get out? Because, you know, they've during this whole time, they've been coming learning all about Jesus, too. So they're really excited about the Lord. So it's like, so where are you going to go? I'd always ask the question, where are you going to go? And they'd be like, well, I don't really have a place to go. Um, I'm going to go back to my old boyfriend. I'm going to go back to my ex-husband, who was like really abusive or something, because they didn't have options. Um, I'm going to go back to AKA pimp, but probably just didn't tell me that because <laughs> I was a little greener then than I am now. So anyway, I'm like, ah, oh, I think about that. I'm like, they were so doing that. But anyway, so they just had to go back to their old living situations because they didn't have any other options. I think at that time, the only place available in Columbus was Amethyst House. And it was, you know, pretty strict to get in there and, it, you know, it was limited and that kind of thing. Now there's a lot more resources for the girls. But anyway, that's kind of on the backside of that. That's kind of how I got involved with that. And then I've had this passion and desire for transitional living ever since. Pam and I used to talk about it all the time. And I would like look for houses and then, then, you know, I might wait six months or a year and then I'd start looking for houses again. I feel it springing up. Okay. You know, I know that there's still a need for this. And so over the last several years, um, I started making connections with other people um, throughout the city. And because it was still in there, you know, God planted that seed in there and it's, you know, it's getting watered. I feel like it's getting watered and everything's coming out now. So I make connections um, with other people that had, you know, like mindedness and that they have the same heart. Um, And I think the key about this is it's awareness. There's so much awareness right now. It's like out there. There's so much awareness. There's so many people doing so many things, and there's all of these moving pieces, and I feel like God's putting all of those moving pieces together for such a time as this. 
It really is for such a time as this. Before, there were other things that were happening. And I, I love how, you know, I thought it was going to be a standalone house that was going to be isolated somewhere, you know, so we could protect these girls. It wasn't like that at all. It ends up being on Broad Street, a building that's going to have two floors. And I was just blown away how he does what he does. And we think it's going to look totally different. But anyway, so I've connected with people um, like at Safe Harbor. They have a great programming in um, Springfield and Amethyst. I know some of the counselors at Amethyst and kind of seeing some people there. And the Women's Refuge, which is actually just kicking off again this month, I believe. Uh, Letter Rest Ministries, which I'll bring Kelly up in a, in a few minutes. Um, she's here to speak about that for a moment. And then just other, piece, other people throughout the city that I've connected with over the years. Um, just to kind of learn and grow and to know more. I spent some time with Kelly and, and I would spend time with these people so that I could find out, you know, what were their, what, what was the pros and the cons? Would they do well? You know, that kind of thing. Any, anything that I could learn from them. And I've learned a ton from Kelly just by watching her. So she's pretty incredible. So anyway, I want to give you a couple stats. I don't want to bore you with stats. They're not boring, but I don't want to give you a bunch of stats and those to overwhelm you. But some of us don't even know what's going on in our own city. We don't even know what's going on in our own backyard, literally. So <clears throat> these are just stats. Um, like I said, they're, not, they're more of a guesstimate because really nobody knows the true numbers because this is still one of the hidden crimes. <laughs> so it's just coming out. Those it, things are just starting to come to the forefront. So the CIA estimates that 50,000 women and children are trafficked into the U.S. every year. 50,000 women and children into the U.S. That's not including everything that's already going on in the city. It's one of the fastest growing industries that generates $150 billion in the worldwide. So that's why it's, <laughs> it's very profitable for those people. So um, it's behind, it's the third largest behind um, illegal drugs and arms trafficking. But we know with the, the illegal, illegal drugs, it goes hand in hand. 50 per, this was a, just actually a new stat that I heard about, that 55% of the women who are trafficked have at least one abortion because they're forced abortions. They have one abortion. 30% of them have multiple abortions. So that in and of itself is a whole different thing that needs to be um, handled and dealt with. 600 to 800,000 people are trafficked across international borders every year. 600 to 800,000 people across international borders. 80% are female and half of them are children. So one of the things I thought about this is like the misconceptions that can happen with this, that people, it would be really easy to judge if you have ever gone downtown and you've seen prostitutes. It's really easy to judge or have that real quick thought of, well, they, choose to be a, they chose to be a prostitute, that they're doing that, so they chose that. Kind of like maybe some of us have done with homeless people, like, well, why don't they get a job? Well, you know, they have a history, a history. And they have um, a testimony. And they, you know, our responsibility is to give and to help and not to judge. You know, because that little girl didn't grow up and say, I want to grow up and be a prostitute. She did not do that. No little girl is going to go, I want to do that as my career. So anyway, we know 
that how that they get into those situations because they have really abusive home, home lives that's not like probably anything that most of us in this room have even experienced. I'm not saying there hasn't been trauma and there hasn't been situations, but nothing to this capacity because this is how these people have lived with sexual abuse, um, physical abuse, alcohol, drugs, all of the above, dad not being there, mom being a prostitute, whatever that looks like. There's a hundred thousand different scenarios, but they didn't have the choices that maybe you and I had. So generally what happens in that scenario, between the ages 11 and 14, they run away because they want to get out of the house. They want to get away from that environment. So they run away. And when they run away, guess who's out there to pick them up? The pimps are just so, they're they're like, they know. It's like a laser. They know who those kids are. And so they come alongside those kids and they give them everything that they've always wanted and never had. They give them food and shelter and protection and that security. And even though that sounds twisted to us, it isn't to them because that's the first time maybe they've ever had it. And so that's how the pimps actually manipulate them. One of the ways, I'm sure, I'm sure they have a lot of ways of manipulating them, like not to allow them to leave. And they don't want to leave because they, many times because they'll lose that security. And again, that might seem really strange to us, but if that's all they've ever known, that security is better than the other option, which is where, where would they go and what would they do? So another way um, that this is magnified is through the drugs. Because a lot of times maybe they're already on drugs to mask the pain from just the abuse that they've had through their lives, or maybe in that situation with being trafficked, they've had the drugs. The drugs have been introduced or what have you, and then they get addicted to the drugs, and then you can just see the vicious cycle of that over and over and over and over again. So I think that we have to be really careful with how we um, look at things and make sure we don't have that misconception. Another way that they uh, lure people in, so to speak, is that they, t- they tempt victims with advertising good jobs for high pay. They set up bogus employment opportunities like modeling. And this is one thing that they actually had an alert uh, last fall at Tuttle uh, Mall. I don't know if many of you know that, but there was actually an alert that was out because they were approaching young girls at the mall right here. You know, we always think it's not in our own backyard, don't we? We always think, oh, that, that's downtown, or that's this, or that. No, it's right in our own backyard, literally. So they approach these young girls at the mall and tell them how beautiful they are, and you would make a beautiful model. And I happen to have a modeling agency try to get information from them. They said to even actually be careful in the parking lot at Tuttle Mall because they're, they're around They're around, they're paying attention. They want to try to lure these girls. And what young teenage girl doesn't want to hear about how beautiful she is and that she could be a model? Yeah, it's just a big lie. (laughs) So, um, and one of the other ways is matchmaking agencies that lure men and women into trafficking. Hotels is a big one, we know that. Actually, we have a prophet friend that comes here and speaks a couple times a year, and he stays in this really funky hotel. Sorry, in Pickerington. <laughs> he stays at this really funky hotel, and I'm always like, why do you stay in that hotel? And he's like, well, because I've stayed there ever since for years. He stayed there. He always stays in the same room, and he prays, and he intercedes, and the glory comes. So that's why he stays there. And I'm thinking, there's no way. And so the time, or two times ago when he was here, he was actually staying in that funky hotel in that same room and praying and interceding, and they actually had a sex trafficking bust. 
And I was like, wow, <laughs> good for him for obeying, huh? Because I would be like, I'm not staying in that room. You know, don't you, Mary? <laughs> not staying there. <laughs> um, another way is um, the massage spas. You know, again, that doesn't happen in Powell, right? It sure did. <laughs> and that literally was behind our house. It was in the strip mall. Like, our house is here. Here's Grace Drive. Here's the strip mall. That had been going on for months and months and months. And these young girls were there that were literally 24-7 in a room that was supposed to be a massage place, spa, and they were in there 24-7. They literally chained those girls to the tables at night. And it took them months and months before they could actually go in and bust that place. There was a church and a daycare center in that same strip mall, and nobody knew. It's like, we have to have our radar up. That's why awareness is so important, because if we know, we could like at least offer help. <laughs> you know, so we need to really be aware of what's happening around us. Some of the events, the big sporting events, any place where there's large crowds of people. And one of those, the number one is the Super Bowl. The number two is um, Arnold, well, I won't say it's the number two. It's one of them, but the Super Bowl is number one for trafficking. And the other one is the Arnold Classic. I just saw somebody posted. I couldn't help myself. I had to reply. I usually don't. Somebody put on Facebook, well, I don't think, because somebody mentioned the Arnold Classic and trafficking. And they said, well, I don't really think those stats are right. It's like, there's trafficking at the Arnold Classic. That's where they go to traffic these young girls. The other one is Muirfield Tournament. Well, people don't like to hear that either. <laughs> Muirfield Tournament. There was actually um, some people that wanted to do awareness um, forms to give out, like to have a booth there, just so people would be aware of trafficking, so you could kind of keep your eye out, and they didn't want to do that, which may, I understand that, because they don't want to be known for that. Whoa. They don't want to be known for that, but it happens in any large event like that, any concerts, anything like that. Ooh, somebody's playing music. So this is kind of where Turning Point comes in. This is why we have a heart and a passion, because these girls need a place to call home. They need a safe place. And we don't, Jim and I were talking the other day, we don't even like to use the word programming because it sounds like brainwashing, but it is programming that they go to, and it's just classes and that kind of thing. But anyway, so Turning Point is going to be a faith-based transitional home for women who have completed one to two years. I'm just going to, I don't know how that got on that video. I think that was from our first one. But one to two year recovery program and are ready to live independently with support and encouragement. And it'll, it'll enable them to live in a safe place. And they'll provide a safe, um, stable living experience. It's going to be an environment that will aid in continuous training and equipping them to live healthy, productive lives. So we're going to provide still, because it needs to be ongoing. It just can't stop when they have like a 12-month program somewhere. It can't stop there, because these, these girls generally have been, this has been their whole life. <laughs> so they have a lot of different things that they still need to work through. And as well as we want to make sure like physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing, relational healing. We want to work on all of that for them. I actually just want you all to close your eyes just for a minute. And I just want you to listen to the goal. And I think if your eyes are closed, you'll, you'll get it in your spirit more. It's to empower and equip women to succeed and sustain a healthy, balanced life with financial independence. 
So it's to empower and equip women to succeed and sustain a healthy, balanced life with financial independence. So how are we going to accomplish that goal? Good question. How we're going to accomplish that goal is that we're just going to come alongside them. We're going to encourage them. We're going to love them. We're going to support them. We're going to coach them. We're going to mentor them. We're going to be there for them. We're going to be there because this is going to be an opportunity for them to live and at a place that they can literally call home, that they probably have never had a place that they can literally call home. We'll have daily classes, like I said, still. We'll do trauma classes, um, boundary classes, life skills. We have people right now sitting here, right, right here, right, just right here, that teach all those classes. So financial cooking exercise, whatever is needed. Like I said, we want to make it, create it like a family environment. So it's going to be family. It's going to be fun. It's going to be home. It's not going to be like, oh, you're going to take all of these. It's not like that. They've already been through programming. This is going to be on site so they don't have to go. Other places like to go to AA. Um, because some of them are mandated to, you know, do AA and that kind of thing. We actually have someone here at Zion that is writing a curriculum called Designed for Him, and it's going to teach them about their identity and inheritance. So instead of, hi, Cheryl, I'm an alcoholic, it would be like, (laughs) I'm going to learn about my identity, who I am in Christ, and my inheritance, and what all that means. So that's going to be really powerful. So she's, she's got that going on. So I do have a friend here with me today, friend, mentor, kind of everything in one one package. I do want to just say a few things before I bring her up. Her name is Kelly, and I love her dearly, and she's just helped me along this path because she's been doing this for many, many years. Um, I tell a little secret on her, um, and and she doesn't talk about this, but she told me, and she probably shouldn't have, but... (laughs) because now I'm telling everyone. But she started this many, many years ago before any of us were really aware of probably sex trafficking. She would go out in her vehicle. She would load it up with food and clothing. And she, she did the bags before anybody knew about the bags. She did that a long time ago. She would take, you know, with her personal items, she would get bags and take them down downtown Sullivan Avenue or one of you know, the roughest, darkest areas, and she would go down and she would see the girls on the street and she would feed them and she would give them clothes and she would give them everything they need. And she did that for years pretty much by herself because it was just her heart and her passion. She would intercede and pray over the streets at night. Most of us probably wouldn't go out there at 3 o'clock in the morning, but she did because that's her passion. She, I mean, it's like her territory. So it's like nobody messes with her. Like the pimps don't mess with her. They just don't mess with her. So anyway, she actually opened, then she opened up uh, Let Her Rest Ministries right on Sullivan Avenue, and she opened up a storefront. So what she would do, just like it sounds, Let Her Rest, she would have the girls come in, and they could shower there. She would feed them. She had clothing that was donated, and she had them all set up on racks because she didn't want them like to have to dig through boxes and stuff. She wanted them to feel really special, so she had all of the clothes according to sizes so they could come in, and they could get clothes, and they could get a shower, and they could get food, and then, just like it said, they rested, and then they had to go back out. That would be so incredibly hard, and I know it was hard for her at the onset, and she learned a lot of hard lessons from that, because I think one night she had 50 or 70 women there all over the place, (laughs) because she didn't want them to have to go back out. But then, you know, she realized her part in, in that was literally keeping them alive at that point. Now, not too many people could do that aspect of it. I actually tried to go to one of her trainings, 
And I, down there, and I was like, I cannot do this. This is not what I'm called to. Mine's more of the inner healing and deliverance aspect. And I, would ne- I, I wouldn't want him to leave. I'd be like, you can't leave. <laughs> so anyway, she did that for a long time. She's had her hand in a lot of different things. And so come on up, Kelly. Welcome, Kelly Beatler. So I see Kendra and Jeremy here, and Kendra, thank you for that, because that was, I remember one day you saying, you have to meet Kelly. You have to meet Kelly. This is a connection for you, and you guys are really going to hit it off, and that happened. <laughs> so anyway, we haven't figured out how many years ago that was, but it was really good. Um, so I had Kelly come because she has, like I said, she has connections throughout the city. She's been doing this for many years. Um, she's a great resource. Um, she teaches us a lot in this. You know, I mean, she's there. She just knows the answers to the questions. She knows, like, if somebody has a need, she knows exactly where to put the women, where they go. Some are in-state, some are out-of-state. So... Um, I'm going to just ask her a few questions that maybe a couple of you would have, or some of you would have, um, a couple of the questions that um, I've been asked or that I know that people um, have questions about. So one of those, Ms. Kelly, is, I'll just let you use this mic, um, where do we get the women for the tw- turning point? So um, it's funny because we, we always feel like we have to be super spiritual in this stuff and and really, there's, there's got to be some flesh involved and some wisdom that God gave us through, you know, our walk with him. But, you know, it's kind of the build it and they will come kind of thing. That's what I've been praying all night. Like, Lord, well, how would you have me to answer this? And that's from Field of Dreams. It's not scripture. It's not a, you know, a Christian movie. Um, but honestly, there's a drawing of the Holy Spirit like a salve. Like if you have a splinter, there's a salve you can put on you know, and put the Band-Aid over. I used to put bacon fat. My grandma would have me do that. Is that crazy? And it would draw the splinter out. So, um, you know, if God has, has spoke to your leaders and your congregation that this is, you know, what you're to do, and you've stepped because God did and went, Jesus came and he did and went, then you, you're going to have to really trust that the Holy Spirit is going to draw them like a salve. Now, it would not be hard to fill the entire floor up with women. I mean, I have, you know, a friend of mine here today that is 12 months clean. Is that right, Monica? Is that, okay, yeah, around about, so, um, yeah. But, you know, she will tell you that, you know, everybody is ready to get well and clean when it's cold outside, um, when they've been to jail and they're coming out of jail. So God is entrusting us that that we will have discernment on what that looks like. And, and that's a part of doing homework, which I have done, because, you know, emotionalism gets involved. You know, you see somebody out there, and they're sick, and they're cold, and, and I've taken them in, and it's not been, been the time. But um, filling it up will not be the issue. You're going to have to trust the Lord that he, his Holy Spirit, like a salve, will draw the right women in. There's plenty that need help, but he knows exactly who is supposed to be in there. So this... You know, we don't have to be super spiritual about it. We don't have to have a call from God that says her name is, and she's on this corner, and she's wearing a red dress. You're going to just have to trust the Lord because, you know, filling this space will not ever be an issue. 
Yeah, and another thing with that is um, that would be like phase one <laughs> before they've had detox or anything. We're actually going to be getting the girls from um, after they've completed a one or two year program so that they're ready um, and, and working and those kind of things. So we're going to be on the end of that spectrum, because that's one thing I didn't say, is what I found out with all of those people that I had connected with um, is that the missing key was there's no place to send them, even after programming. They don't have any place to go. So they can be somewhere for a year or two and then get out and graduate from this, and they don't have any place to go. And there's no longer funding. Yeah, so um, that's a key component that's missing. Um, so what is the success rate? Because I hear that a lot. So, you know, numbers, let's just talk about numbers. Um, numbers write grants, and numbers get people on board financially. But for kingdom-minded thinking, we have to think of numbers in terms of they're able to be multiplied. So what is scripture is that he left the 99 to go after the one. So I'm going to share a little, a little story. Um, it's kind of emotional, so I'll probably be able to get through it, but... Um, there's going to be a time when you get into this as much as you've prayed and trained that you're going to step left maybe when you should have stepped right. So you're going to have to honestly trust the rod and the staff, and they comfort us. They're not to spank us or undo it or fire you or you did this wrong, Zion Church. So, you know, it's not to put you in bankruptcy and, and cost you every dime you have on the wrong programming. The rod and the staff is to rein you back in and staff you back in because you're learning in this. So um, there was a young woman, and I apologize, Monica, I know this is um, emotional for you, but, you know, I went after her you know, because she, she looked to me like she was underage at the time. Um, she was on Sullivan Avenue. And um, in my mind, my emotionalism as a mother just went after her crazy. It was my goal to rescue her off those streets. I mean, to chasing her down when she would get in a car, <laughs> crazy stuff. Um, and she lost her life to this. So another human being or another organization or another church would have quit. You know, we got it wrong. Um, you know, it didn't work. But that one that didn't make it led to this one who did, who led to her other daughter who did, who led to her cousin who did. So one plus one plus one plus one is kingdom building. And those are heavenly numbers and kingdom numbers. And Zion's one matches Turnpoint Apostolic Church's one, matches Life Vineyard's one, and you're building. So if just for one, every bit of it is going to be worth it. So numbers, it's for the one. Well, thank you. Well, yeah, and I just... As you were saying that, I was thinking about how this how, this is going to be a home, um, and so this isn't some place where they're going to come and that they have to leave in twelve months. 
This is going to be as long as they want to stay there. This isn't like we're going to turn you over in a year or two. You can only have a 12-month lease and you're out type thing. It's not going to be like that. Like I said, it's going to be family. It's going to be their home. And so they can stay as long as they want to stay. And that's probably where multiplication, duplication, multiplication will come in throughout the city because we're not just doing this one time. We already know from the words spoken it's going to, it's going to be replicated. So, um, yeah, that's really important. Um, so where will the women work? Um, so we have partnered with a couple business owners that intentionally have started businesses to hire. You know, they have records, but um, we're also learning through the court system that if they are in a program, you know, living their life well and doing the right thing, that they can get those expunged. You know, one of the volunteers at my store has 37 soliciting charges. I mean, they just keep arresting them. You know, John will pull up and pick her up, but he doesn't, nothing happens to him unless Miss Kelly chases him down and gets his license plate number. But that's a whole different, that's not for, that's not my ministry. So it's, no. Um, we got to pray that changes. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, the Olive Branch Pizzeria, have you guys heard of it in Canal Winchester? That's my friend Tammy Wallach, who stepped out with me and did it afraid. Um, we kind of just, whenever God would open a door, there's a circle to this thing. You know, learn them, love them, save them, get them stable, get them housing, get them jobs, connect them with their children, get them in college. So we have done the homework, kind of pioneering for that full cycle. So to just put that in that home is going to be a beautiful thing. Um, John Rush, are you guys familiar with She Has a Name? And um, Clean Churn, he does demolition. Um, he, throughout the city, he has different contracts and cleaning businesses. So getting him a job is really not an issue. I mean, heck, we can just start a business and let him run it. So, <laughs> What she just did, by the way, she now has a boutique called Just Cause. And this is where different artisans come in and sell their things, but as well as the girls that have made things. And what else does it consist of? I know it's a lot bigger than that. Well, you know, one of the things is when you're doing ministry, it, it, it just doesn't pay much. So, you know, the whole asking for money thing will discourage people. You get a vision and God, you know, calls you to it. And then funding is really, it's a bummer. I mean, I'm just, you know, it's tiring because your heart is to do. And, you know, the goal is to have a, a, a board or a committee to be able to do that. But not everybody is going to stick with you. Not every, you know, a lot of people get on board you know, and get warm and fuzzy initially. And this isn't a negative thing, so don't take it that way. You're going to end up with a handful of people that are going to ride this thing out. And um, so I wanted to just be self-supportive. Um, I had a gymnastic center and a dance studio for many years, but I thought, let's just open a store. Let's just make beautiful things. And we did, and we were in Bexley initially, and then kind of got ran out by the zoning board because we outgrew the little space that wasn't supposed to be for retail. So now we're in the short north. And so if, if a woman calls me and says, I need this for my ID or I need a deposit for my apartment, I don't have to get online or reach out. You know, we're able to do it, which feels really, really good, by the way. You can go visit her at Just Cause. That's just a little tidbit there. Okay, location. Everybody that I've talked to is like, but it's Broad Street. Yeah, well, and it is Broad Street, but how many of you get lost downtown? Just raise your hands. Right. So you know Powell. You know the west side if you're from the west side. You know the east side. But get you downtown, and you're like in the, 
you know, kind of the Mexican turnaround. You're just andale, andale, you know, you, you just left, right, you know. So honestly, this, this sounds really hard to imagine, but for, um, I know, that was, sorry. <laughs> That's how I feel in those, what are they called when you enter in the, yeah, they're never in bad areas because there would be shootouts and ramming each other's cars. They're only in, like, Powell and, do you notice that? Because you're real polite, you know, hey, 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 you know, but gosh, put them in Whitehall, you know. <laughs> All right, what about Broad Street <laughs> Okay, Broad Street location. So um, it's centrally located in downtown. So what I found, I live in Bexley, so Whitehall um, has their share of, of the same issues that um, the north end has and the south end. But that's lit- literally where they congregate and where they kind of know their area. So, um, and, sp- and especially since they're 12 months clean, they're pretty stable at that point. So um, even with downtown, I don't, you, know, you don't see a lot of the prostitution down there. You see it more probably four blocks each way. So, again, it, that kind of got off track, sorry. <laughs> You know, I was thinking about that because, um, again, and we have somebody on our Sozo team that she is, she works with the girls coming out of jail at the Delaware County Jail. And what's interesting about that is, you know, we think that these girls, again, are down on Sullivan Avenue. The girls that have, that are coming out of prostitution, that kind of, coming out of that jail are from Powell. <laughs> they're from Powell, they're from Dublin, they're from all around. You know, it's just a, it's, it's everywhere. So... Anyway, but as far as that location downtown, it is a safe place, so there doesn't need to be any concern for that. So thank you so much. (laughs) Okay, so Pastor Jim's going to come back up and give us some direction. Well, if you've been around Zion for a while, you know we have been talking about getting into the city, city transformation. I think we talk about that about every other week. And um, Jesus, he hides this, uh, the way to transform cities. He hides it in an interesting passage when he's talking about himself. Isaiah 61, Jesus says this. He's quoting, uh, in Luke chapter 4, he's quoting Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. You guys remember this passage? So the good news is going forth, but then it's doing some awesome transformation. They're binding up the brokenhearted, releasing prisoners from darkness, comforting those who mourn. So as the power of the gospel goes out, people are being transformed. Uh, It says that there's a crown of beauty instead of ashes, an oil of gladness instead of mourning, garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. I love that. I mean, this is what we live for. We live for the transformation of lives. But then there's something really interesting. Right after this declaration, the power of God's going forth, that these broken people are encountering God, they're having this amazing transformation. It says this in verse 4, they shall build up the ancient ruins. Here's the question. Who is the they that are going to build up the ancient ruins? It's the people who were once broken and destroyed, who have encountered the power of God. They're actually the ones who go and rebuild the city. Are you guys saying this isn't just like a rescue mission? Uh, you know, is, this is actually the way that God chooses to rebuild a city. I mean, it's not the way I would do it. I'm like, hey, let's get a bunch of influencers, maybe some celebrities, some people with them, some great public appeal. But God's like, no, no, no. The people who are once broken and destroyed, once they encounter me, they're going to be restored and made whole. They're the ones who are going to go rebuild the city with the same encounter that they received. It's, it's an amazing thing. 
They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. Gang, here's what I'm after. I'm after a city that's transformed. I want to see a city that loves God well. I want to see uh, cities that learn the power and beauty of divine community. Uh, I want to where people walk into an atmosphere of divine favor. So literally, their thinking begins to change. Maybe five minutes ago or five years ago, they haven't been thinking about God, but they come in, and all of a sudden, with God, all things are possible. Literally, the, the atmosphere just begins to infect their thinking so that hope begins to happen. I want to see uh, you know, where uh, cities are free from affliction, where every child is prized and cared for, where every fi- family discovers the genealogical destiny. You guys, really, God actually has a plan in your genealogy for things where that actually gets picked up and walked out. Where every household discovers the purpose for what was going on, in the, what was lost in the previous generation. I want to see people come into our city and for the state motto, with God, all things are possible to be a reality in their thinking. And Isaiah, he gives, us a, he gives us a key. God says, you see all those broken people? You see all these people that are hurting? What I'm going to do is I'm going to heal, the, heal them and then I'm going to bring healing to the city through them. It's, it's absolutely marvelous. And so the Normandy Project, um, these girls, they are the builders. They are going to be the ones who rebuild the city. I mean, the way God does things is not the way we would do things. I think a lot of times we think like city transformation, we think of the and suddenlies of God. I love the and suddenlies. And suddenly there was a sound of a rushing, rushing mighty wind. And we love that. We love the breakthroughs, the, the, the conversions, the healings. We love all that stuff. But I think sometimes we can lose the fact that this is not how God said he's going to transform a city. He's not going to just come in like a rushing mighty wind and bazap everybody. It's going to come through the radical obedience of people like you and me partnering with him to bring, uh, to bring healing to the broken, and they're actually going to be the ones who go and bring healing to the city. So gang, in the, in the next coming months, we have a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to change the atmosphere of a city. This is not about buying a building. This is about uh, rebuilding a city, about restoring victims to their innocence, to their God-given destiny. And so here's where we're at. We've been chasing this thing for two years. We had a contract. We lost a contract, and they countered, and then they didn't take our counter. I mean, it's just been like drama. It's been like warfare over this thing like you can't believe. Um, We got a contract signed Friday, two days ago. Yes. Finally. It's been back and forth and due diligence periods, and we've had architects in there, all sorts of stuff. We finally got it. So... um, they were asking 1.4 million, and uh, we got the uh, contract for 900,000. So yes. So phase one is this: we uh, part of the contract is we need three, uh, we need 250 thousand dollars by May 31st, and then we need the balance of it, the remaining 650 thousand by October 31st. And so this first, this first hump we've got to get over. And so there'll be plenty of times to volunteer, plenty of, plenty of things that you can do and minister there. But for right now, we need cash. I'm just being honest with you. That's what we need. And so I kind of look at it like phase one is like the storming of the beaches of Normandy. We got to get that stronghold there. That's the 250,000. And then like the freeing of Europe, you know, is like the, the buying the building. And then like the freeing of Japan, the war is over. That's like renovating the building. But so God told me this. He said, Jim, what you started in the spirit, don't finish in the flesh. And this thing was literally started in the spirit. It came in a vision. It came in another vision. It came with prophetic words. And so we want to be obedient to that and not try to just figure out human manipulation and do some giant campaign and this is all we talk about. And we just didn't feel that. We just felt like we were supposed to share the vision of what God has for us and that we were to just challenge you to listen to the Holy Spirit. What was it? We're literally just telling you, we're not taking an offering today. 
We're just, we're just presenting this need and just saying, go home with God and just see what you and your family want to do to be a part of this thing. I, I, when I hear those numbers, I'll be honest with you, like $900,000, which sounded better than $1.4 million, but it still sounds like a lot of money. And I felt like the Lord said, listen, you can act like the older brother and say, I'm just a worker in the field. How come I never get anything? Or we can recognize that our dad owns the whole field. There's going to have to be a supernatural element to this thing for it to work. And so that's, that's what we're believing for. I mean, we're planting a stake in the ground and saying, I mean, guys, 10 years of us being here and training and equipping and conferences and glory and all and prophetic words, and here it is, right at our doorstep. This, this is our Esther moment to actually step into the city. And a lot of the prophetic words that have been this is, as we step in and do this, it's going to cause a, uh, a multiplied effect where other places begin to do this, and it causes a, a movement of goodness. You heard me saying in the video, but what if our city just needs more goodness? You overcome evil with good. What if our city just needs more goodness? We have to accomplish more than the Elks Club if we're going to call God our Father. That means we're going to have to live by faith. We're going to have to radically hear from the Lord so we can tap into heaven's resources. In, uh, in August of 2015, I did a vision message, and I, sh- I shared a story and I actually prophesied, this is going to be the kind of church that Zion is. And so I'm going to read you that story. I'm going to do my best to, uh, to, to make it through the story. And for some reason, you guys know, I can't do like many accents. For some reason, when I read this story, when I do the uh, diner owner's voice, it sounds like a New York accent. Just forgive me. I don't know how to do any other accents, okay? It just, it seems, even though it's in Hawaii, it seems like New York to me. Okay, you guys ready? There's a man named Tony Campalo. He's a sociologist. He's a preacher. He's a great guy. And he was speaking in Hawaii, and because of the time difference, he's kind of up at three in the morning and kind of hungry, so he wanders into this diner. And uh, here's what he writes. Uh, Suddenly, the door swings open, and to my discomfort, in marched eight or nine provocative and boisterous prostitutes. It was a small place, and they sat on either side of me. Their talk was loud and crude. I felt completely out of place and was just about to make my getaway when I overheard the woman sitting next to me say, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend responded in a nasty tone, so what do you want from me? A birthday party? What do you want? You want me to get you a cake and sing happy birthday? Come on, said the woman sitting next to me. I was just telling you it's my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? Tony writes this, when I heard that, I made a decision. I sat and waited till the women left, and I called the guy behind the counter. I said to them, do they come in here every night? Yeah. The one right next to me, does she come here every night? Yeah, he said, that's Agnes. She comes here every night. Why do you want to know? Because I heard her say that tomorrow's her birthday, I told him. What do you say you and I do something about that? What do you think about us throwing a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night? The guy loved the idea. He told his wife. She said, that's wonderful. Agnes is one of those people who is really kind and nice, and no one ever does anything nice and kind for her. Look, I said, if it's okay with you, I'll come back tomorrow morning about 2.30 and decorate the place. I'll even get a birthday cake. No way, said Harry. That was his name. The birthday cake's my thing. I'll make the cake. 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. I picked up crepe paper and decorations, made a sign on a big piece of cardboard that read, Happy Birthday, Agnes. I decorated the diner from one end to the other. I had that diner looking good. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out, uh, word out on the street because by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. There were wall-to-wall prostitutes and me. At 3.30 on the dot, the doors of the diner swung open and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready. I was going to MC, And when they all came in, we screamed, Happy birthday! 
Never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so shaken. Her mouth fell open, her legs buckled. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. As she was led to one of the stools by the counter, we all sang happy birthday to her. And when it came to the end of our singing, happy birthday, dear Agnes, her eyes moistened. Then when the birthday cake with all the candles on it was carried out, she lost it. She just openly cried. Harry gruffly mumbled, blow out the candles, Agnes, come on, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to have to blow out the candles. After a few endless seconds, he did. (laughs) (laughs) Then he handed her a knife. Cut the cake, Agnes. Yo, Agnes, we all want some cake. Agnes looked down at the cake. Then without taking her eyes off of it, she slowly and softly said, look, Harry, is it all right with you if I, I mean, what I want to ask is, is it okay if I keep the cake a little while? I mean, is it okay if I don't eat it right away? Harry shrugged. Sure, it's okay. You can keep the cake. Keep the cake. Take it home if you want. Can I? She asked. Then looking at me, she said, I I just live down the street a couple of doors. I want to take the cake home, okay? I'll, I'll be right back, honest. She got off the stool, picked up the cake, and carrying it like it was the Holy Grail, and walked slowly towards the door. And we all just stood there motionless as she left. When the door closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. Not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we pray? Looking back on it now, it seems a little strange to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner and hallelujah, and hallelujah, (laughs) in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But then it just felt like the right thing to do. I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed. I prayed that God would be good to her. When I finished, Harry leaned over the counter with a trace of hostility in his voice. He said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? In one of those moments when just the right words come, I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. (laughs) Harry paused a moment, then almost sneered as he answered, no, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. And to which I asked Zion uh, two and a half years ago, wouldn't we all? (laughs) Wouldn't we all love to be part of a church that throws parties for, birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning? And I I declared, this is going to be the kind of church that we are. And here it is on our doorstep. And I got some good news for you guys. It's not just birthday parties. It's Christmas and Easter's and Mondays and Tuesdays and Fridays and happy days and sad days and baptisms and Thanksgivings and baby dedications. I want to just connect some dots for you. Um, it may look like we have strategically planned something awesome, but we actually haven't here. What's happened is, um, if you guys remember uh, Fresh Start, uh, Fresh Start Now, the, the boys' home that we purchased, uh, they're looking to start that in June. They had to replace 48 windows, and they're on back order and sprinklers, and you know just how it is. Anytime you're renovating, there's drama. But uh, Mary and I just met with Derek and Shatisha. Windows will be installed next week, and they're looking to open up in June. So I want you to just see the beauty of this is... Um, you know, so uh, you know, some of these women are going to have uh, boys who need foster care, and we can send them there. We just had, uh, we had uh, 40 families. Our churches uh, had more volunteers for the safe families, the alternative to the broken foster care system. Uh, they have had more families, our church did, than any other church in history. So we didn't just beat the Vineyard Church. We beat the whole world, okay? But I want you to see this picture. Some of these women have kids. And, uh, and now they'll have a place where they can be in Christian homes. 
And in foster care, you get no contact because there's been like an injustice. And with this, the the moms and the the kids can actually be integrated back together in a Christian home. You know, uh, we... We ha- I had a house given to us a little while ago, a five-bedroom house, and we renovated it, and it's going to be for girls coming fresh off the streets. It's kind of going to be that first phase. It actually had a ribbon-cutting ceremony yesterday. It was on the news, and I'll have Kristen talk about it next week. And, um, but, uh, I mean, so girls can come off the streets. Their kids will be taken care of, and once they graduate from that, they can go to the Normandy Project, the Turning Point House. And it's like... We couldn't have orchestrated this thing any better. It was just like God was doing stuff, and all of a sudden we're like, this is actually an amazing strategy that we never strategized. (laughs) And so to conclude this, guys, we're not looking to buy a building. We're looking to gain a stronghold in our city for the kingdom of God. We're looking at displacing principalities with worship and prayer that changes the atmosphere of a region. We're rescuing and restoring those most at risk who have become the rebuilders of our city. We're looking to release God's heart in the heart of our city. This is about legacy. This is about affecting generations, because when these moms get healed, their kids are going to be in a different atmosphere, whose kids will be in a different atmosphere. This is about affecting generations. This is about people who have been entrusted with the word of the Lord, and God's saying, what are you going to do with it? It's right on your doorstep. This is time to walk in bold faith. You are the sons and daughters of the prophets. The difference between history and his story is what we are going to do right here. The pages of history are going to be written by what we do with this thing. And after all we've been here, we get a chance to battle the forces of darkness right at the footsteps of the Capitol and shape what happens in our state. Listen, guys, we heard through the grapevine that the Muslims are looking for a building by the state house so that they too can pray. I'll be danged if they are going to get this building. We are going to get this building. If we don't do it, someone else will, and it may be the forces of darkness. This is a military-like move of love, mercy, generosity, and healing right into the heart of Columbus. You've heard the vision. It's time for bold faith. I'm asking you to join the leadership here and plant a stake in the ground and say, God, we will obey. We 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 will run with this thing. So here's what we're asking you for is uh, take a week or two to pray on on this thing. And so we're not not looking for any high-pressure thing and not like, yeah, if 100 people give, you know, whatever amount of money. And, you know, I'm not against that kind of stuff. We just want you to hear from the Holy Spirit. And so on the second and fourth Thursdays of the month in March and April and May, we're going to be offering tours from seven to eight. And so, um, we, you know, you, uh, thenormandyproject.org, it's all on there. Say it with me, thenormandyproject.org. So you can sign up for a tour there. We'll announce it, uh, you know, in the weeks. There'll be sign-ups in the lobby. There'll be, so you can sign up on the card in the back of the seat. But um, we, I just don't have it in my heart to do a big campaign. I just have it in my heart to just share the journey with you, share the vision, and just say, will you join with me in just seeking the Holy Spirit? And if the Holy Spirit is not leading you to give, do not feel bad. You don't hear that in church much. <laughs> but if he is leading you to give, I'm going to ask you to, to be radical about it, to be generous about it. And this is a, a chance to sow into something that I believe is going to cause a movement in our city. So um, 
So I actually, uh, if the ushers could um, come, we, we got pledge cards for you guys. If you want to turn those in, you can go to the Normandy Project. Th- there's kind of two things. It's how much, how much is pledged, just so we'll know where we're at as we're approaching that 250000 by uh, May 31st, but also cash received. And so we'll have on the website kind of updated. Here's how much has been pledged. Here's how much has been received. So if you guys could go ahead and pass it out, we've got a um, kind of an executive summary uh, as well as the full sheet of paper and the half sheet of paper are the pledge cards. And so... Um, just to remind you, just, we're just asking you to pray. Seek the Holy Spirit on this thing. Now, the Battle of Normandy, um, it didn't look like much had happened, but everything changed in a day. And when God told me, find your Normandy, I believe this is it. So I'm excited. So Sean, if you could come, and if you got any further instructions, bless you guys. This is good. Sorry. Hello. Oh, there we go. We, get, we got these mics on, so I just thought I had a mic on. I don't. Um, so I wanted to go over with everyone, just real briefly, as you guys are getting that, um, some of those uh, kind of executive summary, the kind of some, some pledging information on there. Um, we are looking to raise this amount of money, uh, $250,000 by May 28th. Uh, and with the remaining balance by October 31st, and then we'll move into after we, we fully purchase the building and close October 31st, then we'll go into renovations and it gets super fun and exciting. You know, everyone gets to really, everyone's, yeah, gets to dream and design um, uh, when we get to that stage. But a couple things, you can go on the normandyproject.org and, well, we'll see. Uh, Eric, uh, Excellent. Hold on. All right. So the normandyproject.org uh, on the donate page, you can see you can give by card. Uh, you can uh, mail in a check if you'd like to, um, or you can pledge now and give later. So ideally, we would love, if you're planning on giving, for everyone to pledge. Does that make sense? So like, even if you're like, yeah, I'm going to do one time, you can still pledge because most people are probably going to want to give a little bit more than they can in the moment. But p- pledging, knowing what we do have coming in is really going to help us to secure the building. Does that make sense? So that means this is you want to, you want to sign up on here on the right and pledge the amount you want to give. And there's, you'll, you'll see it's really simple instructions. Once you click on it, it brings you to the whole screen uh, to do that. And then uh, you'll get an email after you pledge. And in that email, we'll have a link that you can go back and give online if you wanted to. Does that make sense? And, and so, um, ideally we would love for checks because when we, when you use cards, we have to pay a fee for that. And so there's anywhere from a 3 to 3.5% fee that we pay for cards. So ideally, you can, you can uh, click on the Give by Card and set up a card if you want and, and pay with that. Or you can go on there, and it's actually through our push pay environment, which is what we do for our offerings here. It's all counted separately. And so it's a secure environment. This isn't like another third party that you're giving you know, any sort of finance to. It's what we currently use here for, for our giving. Uh, and you can go on there and set up your card, or you can set up your ACH, which is basically like your bank account, and it's the same security that we currently have in place, and there's a lot less fees with that. Does that make 
make sense? So I'm just going to kind of give you guys some practicals. If you're looking to give, you know, if you can, if someone gave, you know, put it this way, if we got all this through cards, we'd be giving thousands and thousands of dollars away just to process it. And we would like those thousands and thousands of dollars to go to the building. <laughs> so, so all the money that comes in, I want you guys to know this, is going to this project. None of the, there's no other, there's no other partners. It's just us. It's just this building. All of it, 100% goes to the building. Um, and so in the future, you're going to see in the coming weeks, um, between now and May, um, you can give a check in the offering, just our normal offering plates when it comes around here at church service. But it's really important that you write. I just want to get everyone's attention. Thank you. Everyone's attention is that when you write a check and you put in the offering plate, it has to say Normandy in the memo line. Otherwise, you're giving a really great offering to the church here, which we appreciate. But we, we want to be able to, does this make sense? So Normandy in the memo line of any check, whether you mail it, whether you put it in the offering plates as it comes around, please, please, please write Normandy on there. And so, you know, we're really excited because, you know, in the last, uh, you know, uh, Jim, in the last six, seven months, how much money have we given away to other ministries? To over a quarter million dollars, we've given away as a church to Fresh Start now to different ministries to the call, and so you know we're we're so excited because we've really been partnering with God on how to give, not to, like how to give with our offerings here, which which we're going to continue to do, and all of us as a staff, we're continuing to give here. But now, how do we give towards something like this? And so we feel like we've had good practice to how to give to something like this in the last uh, couple months. So, um, so. You'll, you, if you go on the website again, you want to uh, pledge, and then you can go back and give uh, either way that you'd like to. Um, and then on our website, you'll see this. Is, this will be updated uh, uh, regularly. And so you can see the amount pledged. So, so far, we actually have 8% pledge, which is a little over $20,000. And so we have a little over 20000 already pledged. Uh, you'll see this continue to be updated. So if you just want to go back to the website to check it out, it's a very active website. On there as well, uh, Jim mentioned that we can, uh, you can go on there to sign up to tour the building. And so our first tour is on March 22nd. And so that tour is going to be it's from 7 to 8 p.m. The Thursday tour is every, every, couple, every two weeks in uh, April and May. And then March 22nd is our first one. All you want to do is sign up online. You can go to the normandyproject.org. You just click on that date. You'll see it's on the homepage. It's really simple. Uh, and then you can come and tour the building. And so our staff will be there. We'll be kind of sharing a little bit of the vision of, you know, what, what this room and that room might, you know, is going to become. Um, you can ask questions. And really, man, to get your hands and feet on the building is really exciting. And so we just really encourage. We would love everyone to come, like everyone to come to the building. Even if you've been there before, come back to the building again and uh, sign up online to, online to see that. So, um, do you have any questions? Okay. We can answer them later. So, uh, but if you do have any questions, definitely let me know, let our team know. We love to clarify anything that we can for you guys. Um, and I think we have is, uh, yeah. So we actually have another guest speaker this morning. No, uh, someone, someone, uh, Miss Agnes is going to pray for us. Miss Agnes doesn't know that. Is she still here? She had to leave. Ah, all right, we're not going to have Miss Agnes do that then. But uh, yeah, what, she's just awesome. But yeah, I think she's in her 90s. And so and so for those of you who are less than 90, having a hard time staying here, you can understand her. So, all right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Lord, we love you. We love you, Jesus. You're so good. And uh, God, we just want to be faithful to what you've done, what you've given us. But Lord, this is about legacy. Lord, this is about your name. This is about a city. 
And so I pray you'd speak clearly to hearts and that you would uh, bring extreme blessing on, uh, on, on, on those who, who so generously. We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, our ministry teams are coming forward. They'll be the ones with tags on. And so, um, all right, bless you guys.